Smartcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is Saturday morning, and I'm drinking a hot cup of Bottom Gun Coffee from my friends at BottomGunCoffee.com. I have another great show lined up for you, but before I get started, I just wanted to mention my latest leadership book. It's called You Have the Watch, and it's available on my website and on Amazon. In fact, it's a number one new release and a bestseller on Amazon. I'm really excited about this book because it's not actually a book. It's a guided journal for leaders that will take you through an entire year of leadership training. There are 50 themes in the book, and each day you'll reflect on a different facet of that theme. This journal is designed to be on your desk at work for you to read and reflect on for about 15 minutes each morning. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them, and this journal helps you practice those skills. Now, if you're interested in this guided journal, go to youhavethewatch.com or Amazon and pick up your copy today. Now, if you're looking for other ways to support what I do on this show, purchase any one of my books at johnsrenny.com, and podcast listeners can use the discount code DEEP at checkout to get additional savings. Also, I just wanted to mention that uh, the Deep Leadership Podcast is now ranked in the top 2.5% most popular shows out of 3 million podcasts globally, according to Listen Score. And I wanted to thank each and every one of you for listening in each week and sharing these episodes with your friends. You have helped this podcast grow into a top-performing show, and I really appreciate it. So thank you. Well, that is it. Today we're going to be talking about the role of humility in leadership, and humility is an often confused subject, so I'm excited to talk about it some more. My guest today is Dr. Matthew Sauchik. He is the author of a new book called The H Factor, The Intersection Between Humility and Great Leadership. Now, how can humility lead to great leadership? Matthew will help us understand this connection. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Matthew Sauchik. Matthew has been teaching for over 20 years and is currently a professor of leadership development at University of Florida. 
His research focuses on humility and the creation of organizational leadership programs. He teaches both undergraduate and graduate level courses concentrated on interpersonal leadership development, organizational leadership, and advanced leadership theory. He is the author of a brand new book called The H Factor, The Intersection Between Humility and Great Leadership. And I am excited to have him on the show to talk about the subject of humility, which is very important to me. And I'm so glad you're here, Matthew. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so, so excited to be here. I know you have tons of knowledge about leadership, so I can't wait to to ask you some questions and look forward to any questions you have about humility. Yeah, this is going to be fun, and I'm excited about this topic especially. But I wanted to get really get started. I'd like a little bit, know, know a little bit about yourself. Like, how did you... Uh, you know, how did you end up finding yourself in higher education and then in researching and teaching on the subject of leadership? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, like most people, it was a lot of right turns and left turns and kind of figuring things out along the way. Uh, certainly a lot of failure, but uh, just kind of keeping going and, and moving forward. When I was younger, my father was a clinical psychologist. So I was really passionate about this idea of human behavior. I really Wanted to know people, loved watching people go to the beach and sit at a, on a bench and just kind of watch people. And I just found so much pleasure, so much joy in kind of trying to understand people better. Um, I knew that his path wasn't the path I was going to take. So I had to find how would I apply human behavior, the practice and, and the study of human behavior. And uh, an advisor of mine in college suggested this idea of organizational psychology, mm-hmm. and uh, I just fell in love with it. And so I started studying it, and that led me to uh, Wilkes University for my undergraduate. And then Columbia has a wonderful master's program where I learned a ton about leadership, leadership theory. And then uh, went out to Gonzaga University uh, to learn more about the kind of practical application of leadership how you could go out and coach it, how you could build organizational leadership programs. At that point, I really felt like if I can know as much as possible about this topic, somebody would hire me for that. And uh, <laughs> they did. They did. Wilkes University gave me my first teaching job. I fell in love with teaching. It really is my passion is being in front of uh, a classroom, uh, engaging with students and um then a couple of years ago, about six years ago, University of Florida recruited me to come down here, and uh, we were going to be two hours from the beach in both directions, <laughs> so it was really hard to say no. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Well, that's interesting. You know, uh, So you really went down this path fairly early and kind of stayed on this path as far as you know, uh, leadership and organizational uh, psychology. And, and how, when did you find you had interest in the subject of humility? When did humility sort of come out as, wow, this is this special thing that's that's that the great leaders have it and uh and and where did you become aware that this is something that you wanted to dive deeper in that's a that's a really great question i haven't been asked that question before so the idea of leadership happened really really early in my career what i was going to study what i was going to teach and ultimately what i would research in in leadership has changed significantly over time so in the beginning i realized that I felt pretty hollow as a teacher, not having had experience working with leaders. So I built a, a consulting company. I went out and got jobs uh, that would allow me to manage and lead while I was teaching. And those became really important for me to understand when I was talking about theory or when I was talking about practice, 
in the classroom, how much of it actually worked and uh, how much of it was really good theory um, kind of in that idealized world. Uh, so that was really important for me to be able to talk to MBA students or talk to emerging leaders in that process. Uh, so I spent a lot of time in my early years doing that, really perfecting this kind of craft around uh, coaching and leadership development and building out leadership programs and really trying to understand what worked. About maybe about 15 years ago, I started considering what's going to happen in that kind of second half of my academic career. And I read the book Good to Great. and. Yeah. I really loved it. And, and and I know that's a, the book that you have a tremendous amount of passion for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it just really resonated with me. And, and it was amazing. Every single time I would go to a manager to talk about being in the leadership program that I was creating, or every time I talked to a CEO, it would be right there on the shelf. Good to great would be right there on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Big, bright red cover. And, and I try to build a bond by saying, oh my gosh, what did you think of the book? And they would always mm-hmm. say... You know, I'm going to get to that. Or, you know, I got that as part of another leadership training. I just haven't had a chance to read it yet. And it it occurred to me that what Collins had done is he had sold 4 million books that people had recommended that a lot of people didn't read because if they had read it, it says really specifically there, humility is critical for level five leaders. And so that really my passion around why did people not kind of hold on to humility as a leadership you know, characteristic. And what would we need to do to really kind of amplify Jim Collins' message? And that's a lot of what I think my, my book is about. Excellent. That's so good. You know, and it's funny because I I remember reading Good to Great and 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 I and, and it was a great book, but what I keyed in on was this level, this idea of a level five leader and this the the humility and fierce resolve, this this yin yeah. yin yang, like pulling it, pulling it, and I and I was like wait, that's, that's an acceptable leadership trait. You know, it was almost like I, I, cause that's, that was naturally my, that's my natural leadership trait. And so I didn't, but I didn't know that that was acceptable. I'd always told, you know, as the Jack Welsh top down, you know, you, you're, you're on fire. You have this high, high ego, you know, I, I was never that leader. So I thought, well, I'm, I must be wrong. But then Jim Collins told me, no, you're actually right. This is actually a better way to go. And so it, it gave me permission to lead the way I wanted to lead. So I remember that book really changing uh, how I thought about leadership. Yeah. And I love that. And I think Jack Welsh is a really good example because Jack Welsh is one of those guys who's high profile, came in, did this amazing stuff in a really short period of time. But unfortunately, and Jim Collins would suggest this, Jack Welsh then left it off to the next leader who had trouble doing what Jack Welsh did. And then the next leader significantly had trouble yeah. And when we talk about leadership, we often only talk about leaders in terms of short amount of uh, of time. What did they do during their time? Right. Um, and, and that charisma and even to some degree that narcissism of believing that leadership is only three years or 10 years and defined by what that person did is short-sighted to companies building long-term success or countries building long-term success or sports teams building long-term success where a leader builds a culture built on humility that the next coach takes over, the next politician takes over, whatever it may be, so that that can continue to build with strength and resolve. Yeah, I I absolutely think that we often think of those really big, flashy names, and that's where we get into some trouble when we talk about leadership and what really works. It's hard to be a Steve Jobs. 
Because one, you're probably not as creative or as much of a genius, but also you're probably not as much of a narcissist as Steve Jobs was <laughs> in that true. process. So if yeah. we put him out as the ideal leader that everyone should try to emulate, we really run into some issues on emerging leaders, middle managements, and certainly on the senior levels when people don't have those characteristics. And even Steve himself failed, you know, got kicked out of his company the first yeah. time. And he he himself said that it was humility from being kicked out, from finding his biological mother that really helped him the second time around become what Apple was. And he was able to take much more feedback, let people run who were doing their jobs. And even in that case, humility really helped him kind of temper his narcissism in yep. that process. Yeah, I believe that's that's exactly right. Yep. So, you know, sometimes when people think of humility, they think of weakness. Um, how how would you define humility as it relates to leadership? And I know you you define it in the book, but how, how would you say, like for the listeners who are listening in, what what is humility as it as it relates to leadership? You know, I I, I really appreciated uh some of your vulnerability around this idea of could humility be a leadership characteristic? And then hearing yeah. from Collins, because that's exactly where I started out was my my definition around humility was kind of being subservient and, and and not caring about yourself and and some of the roots of the definition go back to being lower than the ground and in some of those pieces what i try to do in the book is i try to talk about how humility has been kind of redefined over the last 3 decades and when we're talking about humility now in research we really talk about having a proper perspective of ourselves a proper perspective of others and a proper perspective of something bigger out there. And what I mean by proper perspective, you can never really have an accurate perception of yourself. You know, you can take in certain feedback that changes in time, but you can have more or less a proper perspective of who you are compared to others. Um, when we talk about the proper perspective of others, it's, it's how do I see the role others play in my life? And then how do I see the role I play in others' life? Do I have a proper perspective around that? And then do I have a proper perspective that I'm connected to something bigger? And, and a lot of times that may be spirituality, but it also can be purpose, culture, you know, organizations where they get people to really understand themselves, understand their connection to their teammates, and then understand that bigger purpose that the organization has becomes tremendously important in building momentum for that organization to move forward. Mm, okay. So it's 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 more than just being humble. It's it's more about your relationships with with others and and in in the organization and the and the company itself. Yeah, and I think it's 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 more about what the perspective you have. So if you if you think about the times in which humility is most often used, you know, someone wins an award and they get up on stage and say, I'm really humbled. Yeah. That that amazing moment puts into perspective, oh my gosh, I won this great award oh, with see. great people out there. So I have a proper perspective that I am one of I many see. people. I think there's this proper perspective, let's say humility on the other uh, on the other direction when you um, are an alcoholic and you find yourself, you know, at, at your lowest point. And you go to AA and they say, the first step is to really humble yourself and say, you can't get over it. That's a proper perspective. Like I can't do this on my own. I need okay. other people. I need. So what humility ends up being is just this proper perspective. I can read who I am right now in my life. I can read who other people are and their importance to me, or their maybe even lack of importance to me. I and then I can understand 
what's what's the perspective I have of how I'm connected to something much bigger? So and that becomes the humility piece. So it's more about perspective. It's more about yeah, yeah, where so. you are, where you, so. yeah, I got gotcha. you. Okay, that's that's a great way to think about it. I haven't really considered it that way. That makes a lot of sense. So yeah, uh, let's talk Let's talk about the new book. I mean, I'm excited. Yeah, this. It's called The you. H Factor, uh, The Intersection Between Humility and Great Leadership. So The H Factor, I assume that's humility. Uh, you got and, it. Uh, we talked a little bit about this, but uh, so Colin, Jim Collins' work on, on, on Level 5 Leadership was was some of the the, the beginning uh, the, the, uh, or something that helped get the ball rolling. But why did you write this book and really who is it for? Yeah, and, and you you know, kind of the the story of how this got started and where I come up came up with the H factor was I was sitting watching some TV uh, with um, my stepdaughter and we were watching the X factor and there was kind of an exchange between a singer that was up there and he sang beautifully. He sp- sang this Spanish song; it was gorgeous. But as soon as he was done. S- singing he stepped up to the judge i think it was demi lovato at that time and he he said to her all right woman what'd you think and she's taken back and she can't believe it and she said what i think is that humility is sexier than any song that you just sang and then another joke uh, judge spoke up and said you know humility is really sexy it's something that you really need to learn and they kind of really go and roll with this and as i'm sitting there watching with my my daughter i'm like this guy is a jerk. Like, I thought he was a beautiful singer, but he's a jerk. And he's just condescending yeah. every single second. And then all of a sudden, every judge votes and they all give four yeses. And it kind of threw me back to think, do we do this all the time? Is technical skill all that matters? And are yeah. we sacrificing everything in our organizations, everything in our communities? Because all we want is the smartest or all we want is the most technically apt yeah. person. And the thing that bothered me the most is it didn't even bother my daughter. She just kept watching and she was waiting for the next person. And I thought, there's a whole generation of, you know, emergent leaders growing up believing that humility is not a real key, key, kind of key term to leadership. And if we're going to, you know, if we're going to deal with 9.6 billion people by the year 2050, we better have some humility to do that, to, to work together, to engage with that. That led me to, once again, kind of rereading Jim Collins' book, and it's amazing, kind of in the middle of the book, he suggests that the X factor, and I quote him, the X factor of leadership is not personality, it's humility. And I thought, like, wow, what a cool coincidence. So I started calling it the X factor, kind of based on his quote, based on uh, this TV show, and and I think that's, that's why humility became really important, but... I think when you get down to why humility, it's this idea that like great companies are practicing it at this point. Google and Zappos mm-hmm. all have it built into their culture. You know, I had the chance in the book to talk with the vice president of human resources at Google, and he completely shifted the culture in the early 2000s because he found that it's 10 times harder to get into Google than it is Harvard. He was getting smart people, but those smart people weren't working together because they were arrogant. So he started hiring for humility at that point in time. The more I read, the more I found research that suggested humility is connected to pro-social qualities like generosity and uh, uh, diversity, creativity, emotional intelligence, teamwork, systems thing. It kind of list goes on. If you think about the world's religion, like the one central piece that most every single world religion has, it's it's humility. 
Then I started reading thought leaders and people like Adam Grant and, and Zig Ziglar and Daniel Goleman, all Adam, Adam Bryant, like Seth Godin, all of these folks at some point or another talk about humility as being important. <laughs> and then uh, there's been books and books written about people like, you know, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, uh, James Madison, Ben Franklin having this central piece. I kind of thought like if Google and yeah. Moses and Ben Franklin <laughs> all are supporting this. Are there is there another characteristic out there yeah. that everyone supports? And it just makes sense as we start to look through not only the research as academics like me do, but just popular press and thought leaders who are great and people who have done outstanding stuff. And that's why the that's why leadership and humility for me was really kind of this important soapbox to stand on. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. This episode is brought to you by the Fraternity of Excellence. The Fraternity of Excellence is an online and real-world community for men who are looking to improve in all areas of their lives. The men of FOE are working together to become better husbands, fathers, and leaders at work and in their communities. They live by a simple philosophy, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, I've been a member for more than three years, and for me, I finally found a brotherhood of men that I was missing from my time in the military. Now, I love being around guys who are dedicated to becoming a better version of themselves. So if you're interested in becoming a man of excellence as well, go to fraternityofexcellence.com or you can reach out directly to me to learn more. Yeah, and it's interesting too, and why? And I'm just you know, to, your thoughts on why it's not a more important, why why it doesn't play a more important role in leadership development. We tend to, like you say, we we don't like the jerks, the, the bosses who are jerks, but then they still get promoted, they still get moved up, and they, you know, if if they get the results, then we 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 move them up. If they have the technical skills, we move them up. So why do you think we're missing it when it, when it comes to leadership development? What could we what could be done differently about that? I think that is that that may have been the question I was searching for more than anything else, because sure, I can write a book on humility and the importance of humility. But if you look up and only see leaders who aren't humble, then right. what good is this book anyway? Maybe I write a book on how to be a jerk. And then that's the successful <laughs> one in that process. But 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 as I started to think about it, I thought there was a way that we could start to address some of this, talk about this. And really get people to a place where maybe we even change it. So, you know, first is the culture of America, where most of the academic leadership research, most of the books come out of it. It's this Western perspective around individualism, mm. the individualness of, uh, of leaders, this idea of you don't need anyone, you can make it on your own. And fundamentally, it's just not true. As a leader, you, you can't make it on your own. I mean, the whole process of leadership is needing others. So this, this more collective process becomes something that is really important to be part of our culture. I think as we get more divided, we see more of that individualistic, I'm right, you're wrong 
process. And we need to get back to a place of humility where we collectively understand that we're the United States or we're we're this Western culture and we need to start to build bridges across. I think the second piece that's really influenced this to some degree is this, you know, leadership selfie nature to mm. some degree. And I, when I talk about the selfie, I talk about social media. When you go on social media, it, it, I even fall into this habit of seeing a father who's also writing a book, who's also an academic professor, and he's on these, to- you know, he's doing this. And I'm like, oh my God, how is he pulling this off? Because I am a shambles right now. How is he doing this? And what I don't know is that he took 500 pictures to just get that one picture or, you know, yeah. and we always see this in social media. We see the the idealized, the perfect, and that just is not the truth. We are imperfect, we are impermanent, and we are incomplete. And that's just the facts of it. But we have this nature to believe that only the perfect is good. So everybody's putting out the perfect. And it, it gets away from the idea that humility or vulnerability are things that we really need to be talking about, embracing, and using. Because you'll say this, and I'll say this, my life is a bunch of failures that I detoured me to my success right at this point. And if I didn't have those, if I didn't learn from those, if I didn't grow from those, I certainly wouldn't be here talking with you today in this process. And I can't wait to that next failure that helps me kind of move up and understand and engage with that process. So I think that's the second piece. And the final piece is I think the way that we evaluate leaders. And I talked a little bit about this earlier, but I think we get into a place where we want success now. So the University of Florida just hired a, a football coach. They're, he hasn't even played a game and they're already calling for his, you know, oh my God, is he going to win enough? Are we going to win the championship? Yeah, yeah. He hasn't even laid a culture yet and they're already giving him one year to do it. And it's just, it's impossible the expectations we have on people now. There's no room for humility in that mm-hmm. culture of learning, growing, building something. It's true with politicians when they have two or four years they have to think about just now. So they make right, decisions right. that are short-sighted. They make decisions that are just about them. They don't build out something. It happens in, in sports, politics, but it really happens in business. I mean, yes. the tenure for a CEO, I, I, I read the other day, was like five years. Hmm. How could you ever build something in, in that short amount of time that's sustainable, engages, prospers, in that process. I mean, by the third year, you're just learning the job in, in right, that. So right. there's a lot of humility in this idea of how we train and evaluate people. MBA programs don't talk about it. Leadership development programs don't talk about it. Organizational leadership programs, no one's talking about this humility piece. And I'm, if anything were to come out of the book, that's what I hope is that we have now a platform like emotional intelligence did in yes. the 90s. Let's let's start talking about humility as being kind of that critical cornerstone to start our development. And once we start it from there, we can, you know, read Simon Sinek, Start With Why, or Rethink from Adam Grant. We can read all those other books. Um, we, can, we can build off those once we understand that humility is a really important place to go. Yeah, I think you I think you're totally right. I remember my first, I got my first manufacturing plant at 32 years old. And I remember thinking. Well, I've got the corner office. I've got this, you know, this manufacturing plant with like 140 employees, fairly small. But I thought, well, I've got to have all the answers. I'm the boss, you know, and I have to, you know, they're going to rely on me. I need to have all the answers. I need to be that stoic leader in the corner office telling people, you do this, you do this. And what I, it, you know, and I think the big mistake I made was trying to trying to have all the answers. What I learned in that, in that first big management role 
was that the the what I learned is that the collective wisdom of the team was so much more than my own personal ideas on how to run things. And so when I engaged people and got this this wisdom, the 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 people that have been doing the job for for years and years and got their opinion, their ideas and brought them all together, we got we we made much better decisions and we grew faster and we we became more profitable. But it was the idea of like it's not about me. It's about the people. And how do I, and that's what consultants do, right? They ask all the experienced people, how do we, how do we, where do we need to work on? And what I learned is like, I have to almost be an internal consultant. I have to go talk to the people, the people that are actually doing the work and find out how we can make it better. And once I did that, and it, and this is a matter of, uh, it's a little bit of a humility. So it's like, okay, well, it's not just about me and I don't have to have all the answers, but if I can tap into where all the answers are, we're going to be so much better than if if I try to do it all by myself. So it's this idea of the collective versus the individual. When you make that decision and you do that, you realize, wow, there's this wealth of knowledge out there that most leaders never tap into. John, I, if people get anything out of this podcast today, I, and I'm ashamed to say this, they should listen to what you just said. <laughs> like That's the fundamental piece of humility is this idea that it's it's all it's ridiculous. We wouldn't do it in any other world. But as soon as we become a leader, we believe we have some kind of divine wisdom to right. answer all questions. And it's it happens to you. It happens to me. Like, uh oh, I better know the answers to this now because I'm the leader. When you weren't any smarter that day, you were woke up. You're just as smart, or maybe yeah. a little bit smarter than the day before. Yeah. But you don't have all the answers. And it's backed up by all the research. All the research out there suggests that a leader who is humble enough to say, I don't know. No, you don't want to say, I don't know all the time. You want to ha have some yeah, knowledge about yeah. your job. But if you have a real difficult issue and you say, I don't know, and you bring it to your group, it is suggested that your followers will feel so much more empowered that they will give you blood, sweat, and tears to yeah. figure out that answer and work with you to get that answer than you just kind of commanding it from above. But we love those stories where a leader commanded something from above and it worked yeah. and it's yeah. the way we should do it. But it's just fundamentally our problems are so much more difficult. People, there's so many more people. We're trying to do things so much faster now. You have to have collective what they call collective humility in that process. So when enough people have humility, it all comes together to be able to say, let's hear from everyone. Let's mm. hear divergent points. Let's be creative. How do we get to these places where we're able to really answer this question with everybody's wisdom in that process? And that's, I'm so happy you found that because as a consultant or coach, that's that's always been the kind of the genius behind that is you just yeah. go in yeah. and you ask, you bring people together, ask them what they think, and then you are able to get to that solution. And I always wondered about leaders who brought in consultants when they could, like you yourself, be that kind of internal consultant to go find those answers and engage yeah. people in that way. Yeah, I think, and I think it takes a little bit of humility to say, okay, well, I don't really know. But, you know, in fact, I even say a lot in my books too, is that you don't have to have all the answers as a leader, but you have to have all the right questions. You have to have the right questions and, and be willing to listen to, to, the, to the answers to those questions. And, and once I learned that, leadership got, got easier for me. I'm like, okay, I don't have to have all the answers. I just need to know what kind of questions to ask, who to ask them, when to listen, how to bring the ideas together, how to try to formulate a plan based on the best ideas of of my team and 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 leadership became easier after that i found i didn't I, the pressure was off right it was like okay well i'm just i'm like a conductor here in an orchestra i've got to get the best 
you know, the best performance out of the whole group, but I don't have to play the instrument. You know, I'm not playing you know, any it, instrument. And, <laughs> and maybe the, the, the best example that people will kind of recognize or remember is that, and I talk a little bit about in the book is that show the undercover boss. And I always find this mm. undercover boss show, like the most amazingly ridiculous yeah. show in the world. You get the CEO who's so out of touch that people don't recognize him. You put them in all this makeup, you send them down. And what they do is they ask questions, right? They yeah. start saying to the people, and it's not even just questions about the job. Like, what is the job you do? They get to see how hard the person works. They get a proper perspective yes. of what that yes. other person is to the organization. But then they start asking questions about their life. And you mm. find that there's they're completely transformed. Like, oh my gosh, you have a family? Oh my gosh, you're struggling? <laughs> oh my, uh, I'm going to help you with this. I'm going to help you with that. Oh, policy should be different in the organization. And it's always amazing because at the end, they always talk like, oh, I'm humbled now to this idea that yeah. these people really matter. They're the heart of the business. They have answers to what we should be doing. And we do have to take care of them. And I think that's a really important point is that like proper perspective of others becomes really important to be able to get to that that place of a whole culture and organization moving forward in the same direction. Yeah, I absolutely. I, I absolutely. I really see that. It's so actually, um, you know, I talk about it in one in in the book, uh, all in the same boat. But uh, I, I we had developed a process called Fridays on the floor, where all of uh, the management team and eventually all salary employees would go work on the shop floor first Friday of every month for the yes. morning. And what it what it was was it was basically, uh, you know, undercover boss uh, before undercover boss was even a show. Sure. So we were sure. actually working on the shop floor with people. We built. We built relationships with the people, but we also listened to it and, and observed and like, you know, like the tooling that was improper, procedures that weren't right, equipment that was uh, not maintained. And we learned all the stuff about what was really happening. Uh, but a lot of management teams, you know, they're kind of sequestered in their 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 uh, their offices or their conference rooms or their conference calls. And they don't get out to where the real value is added. So that's the beauty of Undercover Boss. You actually see when you do get out to where the value is added, where the people who are actually adding value, that's where all the answers are. That's where all the wisdom is, you know, but you've got to get out and go to where the real you know, value is made. And I think many managers miss that. They sort of think, well, I've, I've got to make all the decisions from the corner office. And that's just a big mistake, I think. You're absolutely right. It's probably the simplest thing that we do wrong in organizations is we silo ourselves and we say, we have to fight for our own resources. We have to fight against mm -hmm. the rest of the organization. And there's no humility in that. There's just no humility. Yeah. If, where yeah. if you have some humility and say, okay, sales is you know collectively contributing to accounting, which is collectively contributing to marketing. How do we work together? How do I know what you do and what I do and how they're equally important to work towards? Use this phrase in in uh, the book. If you're really a good leader, you're you're never the end. And sometimes I think when I meet CEOs or when I meet uh, emerging leaders who are great, they believe that if I just make this leadership position or once I get into the CEO position, I'm the end. Like people answer to me. And the truth is, when you're a leader, you're not the end. You're just a means towards the organizational's end or the the other people who work for you, their end. And that's that's the humility shift we need. So how do you collectively go out and find out what are those ends and how are you helping people reach those? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah, one of one of the challenges I see with with this book and with with even my work sometimes is is that the people who really need to read this book are most likely the ones that are not going to read it. In other words, the people that 
that have humility and realize that there's, there's a lot for me to learn, they're going to be picking up books. They're going to be trying to make themselves better. But it's often the the the, the bosses that don't have humility or don't have any self awareness that are l- less less likely to pick up a book. How how um, you know I don't know what your thoughts on it, but but how do we encourage people? to to you know dive into books like this and learn more about humility when when they're likely they don't have that i, I don't know the answer to this but it's something I've, I've thought about this a lot as i've been writing books yeah john i i uh you know i love that question it's something that i haven't talked much about on any podcast or any stuff that i've written but i've thought a lot about it it's it's this idea that you know hundreds of people when i was writing this book would really encourage me. They were really supportive, much like yourself. Like it's a, it's a great topic. We need stuff on it. And people would even say to me, my gosh, my boss absolutely yes. needs this. Or yes. my wife absolutely. Yes. Don't tell her I said this, but my <laughs> wife really needs this. Or my best friend really needs this. Not a single time did anyone come up to me and say, I really need this. Uh, and, and yes, we, just, yes. we don't, we don't see it in ourselves, but we see it in other places. And I, what I tell people and, and one way that's been really kind of useful for me to help people get this into the hands of those who really need it, I would make the argument that we all need more humility and we all mm-hmm. need to understand a proper perspective of ourselves, others, and this larger thing. So everyone's going to benefit from reading it. But if you have someone in particular who you think could really benefit from humility, what works really well, even in the short period of time that I've seen, I've seen people buy the book. They'll, they'll hold it up and they'll take a picture of themselves on social media, which is such an amazing platform. And what they'll do is say, oh my gosh, I'm reading this book. I really liked X, Y, and Z. I'm going to recommend these three people read it. And usually you pick two people who are pretty humble and you pick another person who isn't humble. Ah. It's almost that like, it's that ice bucket challenge sort of effect. Yes. And what I found is that people who are grouped with people who are humble believe that they're also humble and 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 they will say, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, I'm definitely reading it. And then you can go in and call them out. You can call them out. Oh, did you read the book? Can we talk a little bit about this book I found on page five? And it really has kind of taken off that way in this in, in this process of people almost disguising their interest in particular people reading it. Um, and I've seen some real success around that. But I think the best way to get somebody to read a book is when you recommend it. And you can't recommend a book you didn't read. It's almost like saying, okay, here, you need humility. I don't. But if you say, gosh, I've I've read this book. I got a lot out of it. I think you would love it. It's not saying you need it. It's saying I really liked this book. It was interesting. Uh, You are an interesting person. You really like it. And I think when we get away from some of our preconceived notions that humility is a really bad thing uh, or is a thing that we we don't want to not have, um, so recommending this, then we get into a place where people feel really comfortable talking about and engaging with it. There's a lot of questions in the book, and I found from a mentor-mentee relationship, each of the chapters has questions at the end. It's a really great way to, to, you know, if your mentor's needing humility, it's a great way to say, hey, what do you think about, you know, question number three here? Or if your mentee needs it, you know, boy, I'm struggling around three. What do you think? And and giving some opportunity to just have a conversation. I love it. That's great, great advice. Uh, listeners, if you're listening in, you got a boss that uh, might need this. <laughs> this these are, it's great. Uh, Matthew's given us some great uh, tips there to how to get that book in their hands. So that's fantastic. So uh, Matthew, how can people find out more about you and this new book? Yeah. And I guess that's the, the final recommendation is if, if that doesn't work, 
just email me and I'll send them a free copy and I'll say, boy, you're such an amazing leader. I'd really love for you to read the book and we'll get into his hands that way. That's not a problem at all. Uh, my my email address uh, for the University of Florida is just my last name at ufl.edu. But I'm on Instagram. My name, Matthew Sauchik, and Facebook, uh, certainly Twitter and all those other social uh, platforms, social media platforms. And the book itself is this red covered book, The H Factor. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. Just search my last name and it will be there. And I hope you read it. I hope you enjoy it. Don't hesitate to write me an email and let me know what you think. Because I think you will know this, John. Sometimes writing these books is a real lonely process up until the moment yes. you give it out. And then yes. you love to hear the feedback. You love to hear all the good things you got out of it. And also all the like, ah, I disagree with this particular point. And that yep. helps evolve your thinking with stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad you chose a red cover, by the way. So it I was I paid homage. <laughs> I paid homage to the to the original. Yes, it's actually the same shade. I had to find out what color was and so oh, I love that. Bad. I love that yeah. you've done that. So so for our us leadership geeks out there, that was that was good that you did that. Absolutely. Thank I you love so much. That. I appreciate you saying that. Well, okay, so everybody, the book is The H Factor: The Intersection Between Humility and Great Leadership. It's brand new. It's just out and I highly recommend it for everyone listening in. So we'll put the links in the show notes for everybody so you can get out there and find it. Uh, you can find it on Amazon as as, as uh, Matthew pointed out and we'll put a link to that uh, in the show notes. Matthew, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing this new book and sharing all your thoughts on humility. I think it's a very important topic and, and I learned a lot today. Yeah, I, we could talk for hours around this. I so appreciate your thoughts around this and thank you for having me on your show. I really, really do appreciate it. Oh, I, I loved it. So thanks again. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast.